everyone and a very warm welcome to morning worship at Hillhead. Our service this morning will be led by Katrina, but we'll also hear the voices of Alistair, who will be leading the Lord's Prayer in Scots, Nikan, Benjamin and Freya, who will be reading scripture for us, and Dr. Beth, who will be leading our prayers for others. Our musicians this morning are Paul and Yang Yang, and in just a moment, Nikan and Nikiar will be lighting our candle. At the end of this service, we'll take a break of just a couple of minutes so that those who are not able to stay for the breakout rooms can leave. And then Katrina will put us into breakout rooms as normal. But this week, we'll be using that time to chat specifically about returning to worship in the hotel. All being well, at least one of the trustees will be in each group to kind of help lead our uh, talking around our expectations and our understandings of returning to the hotel and what's important uh, to all of us. Uh, just a wee word of reassurance though, if for instance, you live a great distance away from us, that our hope is to continue entirely on Zoom as well as in person at the hotel so that wherever we are, we continue to be part of a worshiping community at Hillhead. Then this evening at 7 p.m., Rebecca Gebauer will lead our evening reflection on the intriguing theme from Aix-la-Chapelle. Then the Sunday school would ask me just to remind parents and grandparents of our Sunday school children uh, to return the questionnaire that they sent out this week, if possible. Emma's email address uh, was attached to the original email with the questionnaire. And if you could uh, find time to do that this week, that would be hugely appreciated by the Sunday school staff. They're particularly keen to find out about the times that work best and the days that might work best for in-person Sunday school. And just an update on our church family. Um, Paul has let us know that Lily is likely to be transferred to Gart Naval Hospital today. So if all goes well, Lily will be moving to Gart Naval at some point today. And then Edith, it's lovely to hear that Tom is home again and resting. And then just a piece of news about Lena's dad. Uh, he's recovering from a procedure following a heart attack, which occurred while he was actually in hospital. Um, he's also still testing positive for COVID, which of course is a complication to everything. So please remember Lena and George are hoping to be able to see them next weekend in Lithuania, all being well. And especially please remember Lena's mum, uh, who is pretty much on her own with a lot of the worry about these things. But time now for Nikan and Nikiar to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is a light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
Let us pray. Gracious God, it is good to gather in the name of Christ to worship you. Offering our praise and thanksgiving for all that has brought us life and hope. Confessing our regrets and shortcomings. Finding ourselves forgiven and freed and bringing our prayers to the world of which we are a part. And so we give you thanks for the moments in this past week when we have found cause for thanksgiving, when we have found laughter, when we have found love, when we have found fulfilment and flourishing, when we have found new insight or new understanding, when we have found welcome and acceptance, when we have found ourselves aware of you. We also call to mind the moments of sadness and regret, losses, great or small, that diminish our lives. When we have lost patience. When we have been irritated or lost our temper. When we have lost confidence. When we have lost hope. When we have felt ourselves lost, rejected or isolated. When we have lost any sense of your presence, welcome or acceptance. We pray with as much confidence as we can muster. Knowing that you forgive us all our wrongdoing, whether intentional or unintentional whether conscious or unrecognised. Gracious God, we pray, assured that your love for us is unchanging and that you in your grace and mercy, not only welcome and accept us, but by the gift of your Holy Spirit, enable and empower us to glow, grow and flourish as your beloved children. Amen. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, be hallowed thy name. Thy come, kingdom come. Thy will be done on the year as in heaven. Give us our bread for this incoming day. Forgive us the wrongs we have wrought, as we have forgiven the wrongs we have read. And say us necessarily, but save us as free the alien. For the kingdom, the poor and the glory are thine forever and I. Amen.
All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Or what woman, if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them, won't, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her hope? home carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, celebrate with me, because I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over the sinner who changes both heart and life. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterwards, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There, he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your brother has arrived. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, I've served you all these years and I never disobeyed your instruction. 
Yeah, you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, Son, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This week, we reach the end of our exploration of parables that are unique to the Gospel of Luke. And we have a set of three stories that often are put together as a single piece. They are told to a mixed audience of tax collectors and, in inverted commas, sinners. But also there are Pharisees and experts in the Jewish law. So it's a real mixed bag of people who are listening to these stories. And we are told that the religious authorities were muttering to themselves about Jesus, how he mixed with these people who weren't very nice, how he went and ate dinner with sinners and tax collectors. He welcomed them. He went to their homes. This wasn't right. This wasn't the way that a nice, righteous person ought to be behaving. Most, if not all of us, have heard these stories times without number. And we know because we've been taught this, that they are about repentance and celebration. Even though, as we'll come to see, that isn't necessarily the natural reading of the stories themselves. As I've been doing over the last few weeks, I've been looking at a lot of different commentaries to try and find something a bit more interesting that I haven't heard before about these parables. And this week, I've specifically been using a Jewish well, a commentary by a Jewish New Testament scholar called Amy Jill Levine. And it's really interesting to see what she has to say, uh, bringing a contemporary Jewish perspective to some of these stories. So let's start with the first story, the story about the person who loses a sheep and goes searching for it. If we'd read Matthew's gospel, there's a very similar but subtly and importantly different story about a sheep. In Matthew's story, the sheep goes wandering off and the owner has to go out and find it. In Matthew's story, the sheep isn't picked up and carried home and there isn't a party. In Matthew's story, we are told that God's desire is that none be lost. And that makes sense. It's a reasonable conclusion from that story. The sheep wanders off, the shepherd goes and looks for it, 
they go back. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. Makes perfect sense. Unfortunately, Levine argues, and I'm inclined to agree with her, it's not quite so simple with Luke's story to kind of get a neat answer out of it. In Luke's story, we are told that the owner loses the sheep. The sheep doesn't go wandering. The sheep doesn't choose to be lost. It is lost by a apparently careless owner. Careless, maybe even negligent. And for some reason, this owner does something even more reckless and stupid. They abandon the 99 that they've got left and go off and find the one they, they have carelessly lost. And now this hapless creature, probably bemused and bewildered, maybe hungry, finds itself picked up like a trophy and plonked on the shoulders of the owner. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always had in my mind kind of a nice, cute little lamb being picked up. But that's not what it says. It's a sheep. I had a look this week. A uh, grain sheep weighs somewhere between 50 and 500 pounds. So it's like picking up a small child or even a large adult, a very, very large adult, and trying to put that on your shoulders. And it will probably wriggle because the last thing the sheep wants is to be stuck on somebody's shoulders and carried along. It would rather walk home, I'm sure. But once they get back, the sheep vanishes from the story. The party, such as it is, takes place between the sheep owner and their friends. Levine suggests somewhat mischievously, that if the sheep plays any part in the celebration, or maybe they serve roast mutton, most likely it just disappears. And then we're told, therefore, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner. But the sheep isn't a sinner. The sheep hasn't done anything wrong. If anything, it's the owner that is negligent, careless, maybe a sinner. And she notes how we try to bend the story to fit the moral, how we don't go with a natural reading. She notes also that it's a story of exaggeration. It's just a ridiculous thing to do. If you had a hundred sheep and you lost one, would you really abandon the others to go and look for it? Perhaps this is just a story about ridiculousness, as Luke tells it. This is a crazy story. And you know what? The God in whom we believe is even more crazy because God cares so much about one person who has become lost for whatever reason and finds their way back that there is rejoicing. That is how crazy God's love and God's grace are. And then we have a story of a woman with 10 silver coins. This is no poor widow with two mites. This is a woman of some means. 12 silver coins, sorry, 10 silver coins. 10 silver coins is, is a significant amount of wealth. When I was at school at about the age of six or seven, we were shown pictures that had a woman with the 10 coins stitched to her headdress. And the idea was that the stitching came loose and, and one was lost. 
I have no idea how authentic that image is. But the reality is it's the woman that loses the coin, not the coin that escapes. And as it tumbles to the ground, perhaps she hears it clinking and rolling away under the furniture. Now, she's still got nine. She hasn't suddenly lost everything. She's not in danger of hunger or, or starvation or eviction or anything. But she goes and gets her broom and she goes and gets a lamp and she sweeps the whole house looking for this coin. Because, frankly, it's very valuable. It's a lot of money. And then the story tells us that she calls round her friends and neighbours. Now, in English translation, what we lose is that the, the nouns used here are feminine. She invites round her women friends, her women neighbours, and they have a party. And where's the coin? Well, if it has any part in the story, maybe it gets used to buy the party food and the champagne or Prosecco or whatever the first century equivalent of those was. And then we're told there is more rejoicing amongst God angel, God's angels over one sinner who repents. But that doesn't follow from the story either, because the coin surely isn't a sinner. It didn't ask to be lost, but it is found. So here we have another example. You know, this God in whom we believe, in whom we trust, is bonkers. Because God cares more about one person than about those that are, you know, there will be a party if one person changes their ways. How ridiculous is God's love and grace and mercy? And so we have two stories with little morals added on the end that you can't neatly derive from them if you read the stories the way we or I have always heard them read. And then the last story, the one that must be one of the most loved and most preached stories in the entire history of the Christian faith. The parable of a man who has two sons. Most of us, I'm sure, can think of artworks that depict parts of this scene. We may have read Henri Nouwen's famous work, The Return of the Prodigal Son. We may have been intrigued and inspired by Richard Holloway's exploration of the elder son. And certainly in the past, I've looked at this story, trying to tell it from the perspective of the mother who doesn't even appear in the story. There are always hidden characters in these stories or implied characters in these stories that we never meet. Maybe we feel we've done this story. We know exactly what it means and where it's going. And I think this is why I found Levine's commentary helpful, because she reminded me, well, actually, she showed me because I'd never thought about it, that Jesus' original hearers would have been really familiar with stories that had a father and two sons. They would perhaps have called to mind the story of Cain and Abel, or the story of Ishmael and Isaac, or Jacob and Esau, or even the story of Joseph and his 11 brothers and one sister. Stories that are characterised by sibling rivalry were very commonplace. They, they run throughout the scriptures. But with the only exception of the Cain and Abel story, 
there is nothing to suggest any divine displeasure when it seems that the younger son benefited to the deficit of the older son. Think of Jacob and Esau, that sneaky younger brother who stole his brother's birthright. These stories would have been very, very familiar to those hearing Jesus tell this parable, and they might well have made connections with them. But she goes further. She says that whilst it's unusual how this story begins, it would not have been unknown and it would not have been seen the way we often see it as the younger son wishing his father dead or abusing his, his older brother's privileges. In that culture, if you were the younger son, you would have to leave home because everything would be going to your older brother. So at some point, you'd have to go off on your own, set up your own household, build your own life. So it's unusual to do it whilst your father is still alive, but it's not unheard of. So off he goes. And he is foolish about how he uses the money. He has a high old time on his adventures. But again, that isn't necessarily sinful. It's not wise. But we're not told that he squandered all his money on prostitutes and riotous living in the way that the older brother speaks at the end of the story. We're just told he was a spendthrift. He had a great time. And so he ends up feeding the pigs, not because he's a sinner, but because there's a famine. And in order to survive, he has to get a job. And the only job he can get is a really lowly job looking after the pigs. So if he's a sinner or if he's lost, it's not perhaps in the way that we have always or I have always thought it to be. The wording of the story suggests that he, he realises what a mess he's in and he wants to do something about it. And so he, he plans, what will I do? And he says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to admit to my dad I've messed up and I'm going to ask my dad to take me on as a servant. And I've always taken that at face value, that this was him coming to his senses, because that is actually what we're told. He came to his senses and he thought this. Levine, from a Jewish perspective, and perhaps more schooled in the Old Testament, the Hebrew stories than we are, says, well, is that right? Or was this another story of a sneaky younger brother? Did he come up with a great, I know, I know, I'm going to go and tell my dad this and, that, and then it'll be all right and he'll, and he'll, he'll do what I want. Well, we don't know. But it's an interesting one to ponder, isn't it? whether he wasn't actually such a nice younger brother who, who came to his senses, but he was still a bit sneaky. One of the big differences between this story and the one about the sheep and the one about the coin is that nobody's come looking for him. The father hasn't abandoned homes, house and home and gone off to a foreign land to try and find his son and bring him back. The father's still safely at home. And of course, when the son starts to come down the road, the father sees and rushes off to meet him. So we do, or I do, put two and two together and say, well, the father must have been looking out, patiently waiting. And I've preached that times without number. But it's not what the story says. 
So it may not be the only way to read it. So he comes back and his father welcomes him and he puts fine clothes on him. He gives him a ring. He just says, right, we're going to have this amazing banquet. My son was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. And the party starts. But somebody is missing. Somebody's been overlooked. Someone has been lost because the older brother isn't there. He's still out in the fields, being the obedient son, doing what he always does, keeping the rules, looking after the sheep or the fields or whatever it is. And he comes home and he's tired. And he hears the music and he wonders what on earth is going on. And the servant explains to him, well, your, your brother's come home and your dad's having a massive party. And he kind of flips, basically. It's just one thing too many, one last straw effect. And we could spend ages trying to work out why that might be. But he stalks off. And it's only now that the father leaves home to look for somebody who's missing. It is now that the father goes out to find this oldest son and talk to him. But of course, the younger son is angry. He's furious. He's livid. It's not fair. It's not fair. He said, I've done everything. I've been the good son. And you wouldn't even give me a little goat to have a party with my friends. And now this spendthrift comes home and it all comes out in a torrent of rage. And the father implores him to come in. The father says, you've always been here. You always loved me. I've always loved you. And everything I have is yours. Won't you come back in? And then the story stops. And Luke doesn't add an explanation to this story. This time we're left hanging. This time we're not told about parties in favour of repentant sinners or joy in God's household and God's angels. We're just left to wonder. In the stories about the sheep and the coin, it's really clear who or what is lost, who seeks for it and how that leads to a celebration. We're even told what message we're supposed to conclude from it. It's the story of the family is different. It turns it round backwards. We don't begin with a lost and end with a found. We begin with, well, a long introduction really to a lost older son. And we don't get a tidy ending. And we don't get an explanation. Maybe we are left to wonder what our own repentance might look like. What it might mean for us to recognise ourselves in the place of that older, well-behaved, law-abiding, hacked-off brother. And to turn around and go in and be part of that party, part of that celebration. Sometimes I think I and the church in general can be quite good at being, yeah, older brother. 
very self-righteous, very aware of how good and proper we are. But until the oldest son, and therefore the church with a big C, and therefore me with my big C, and maybe the rest of us, are able to turn around and go in. That father is left outside waiting, waiting for everybody to be inside so that the party can be complete.
We bring to God our prayers for others and for ourselves. Today, focusing on things that are lost and holding those situations in the light. We pray for situations of lost peace, whether personal, local, national or international. We pray for situations of lost sleep, to anxiety, health issues, to working night shifts, to caring for family members. We pray for the habitats being lost around the world, of jungle and forest, of water and of earth. We pray for those who have lost health, short-term and long-term, mental and physical. We pray for those who have lost time, awaiting decisions from the Home Office, awaiting hospital appointments and operations, awaiting news, awaiting change. We think of situations related to income, to politics and to natural disaster resulting in lost access. Lost access to healthcare, to food, to warmth, to education. We pray for those who have lost liberty, remembering especially prisoners held for political reasons, including Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe and others held in Iran. Our God promises us good things and gives us stories of searching for and finding good things, including us. We remember through our prayer diaries this week, the key and other communications and all those who contribute to these. Clifford, Ed P, Christian, Katrina G, Jean and Walter, Paul and Rico, Ailey, Leo, Rachel F, Katrina H and Ben, Rachel H. We think especially this morning of Lily as she is moved uh, hospitals and wards. Union, Baptist Union of Scotland asks us today to remember Buckhaven Baptist Church, Bucky Baptist Church and Borough Isle Baptist Church alongside Philip Craven who works as RAF chaplain and asks us to rejoice that chaplaincy is seen so favourably and that he can offer support and encouragement. Wider, we think of the BMS house churches in India. Some of them much smaller than many of the small Baptist churches that we prayed for earlier. We rejoice that our God promises us good things and gives us stories of searching for and finding good things. Amen.
May the God who promises good things, who tells us stories of seeking and finding, who welcomes us all continually into the joy of the eternal banquet, bless us with confidence to live well and love much today and always. Amen.